Live. Jason, we need a more interesting background than that. I mean, the crowd, right, the crowd gonna, wants gonna, a background. The crowd right, wants something interesting. I, I, I don't want to spoil my, you know, people are just coming to their seats. You know, we could be in Greece. That's fine. You know, if you're hungry. I'm hungry. When, so if, you, if you want to see the, the legend, Blake Gregorian showing uh, the, the tribes in Kenya how to uh, uh, use a drone. While everyone's filtering in, when do you think you're going to be on a plane next time? It's, you know, it's interesting. If I was if I was able to look at the sea chart and see who's actually on the plane, I would possibly gamble now. But I can't imagine until the new year in that um, my manager, i.e. my girlfriend, Liz, who you know, she she decides and uh, she's not stepping on a plane anytime soon. And, you know, frankly, we'll talk about this, but the wavering of the airlines, the movie theaters between what they're doing and what they're not doing. I don't even know if there's a consensus yet. You know, I know Americans just said, finally, everyone has to wear a mask. And I think they've, you know, flip-flopped a couple of times. They were last so. to it. Yeah. American was. Why would you ever want to wear a mask in a, a, a an airtight container 40,000 feet above the air? I, I don't know why. Well, they, they claim to recycle the air through the bottom. And By the way, like, airplanes are better than hotels. Every, every four minutes you get fresh air, so they claim or something like that. I've stayed at a hotel already. <laughs> it was Have a really? wreck. Yeah, for a couple of nights. A few. Did you sleep in a ago. mask? Um, no, I didn't sleep in a mask. But it looks like I didn't get COVID. Maybe you did, or maybe I did, and I'm asymptomatic. So let's get started. <laughs> sure. <laughs> On that yeah. note, yeah. I don't want to. I'm tired. You know, your COVID. I got a COVID test. I was negative. So we can and we can talk about COVID, COVID forever. Test. I was negative at that. Did you moment get the time. nose swab, Rich? Yeah, it was. Horrible. I did. It was only about halfway up, though. It was. They said it was less <laughs> crazy than the regular one. You had figured in a safe environment, even if it was a, a, an expanded network of families, no one wants to talk about it anymore. So let's talk about media. Okay, so we're very excited on Light Shed Live to have Jason Hershorn. Uh, on behalf of Walt Pysik, Brandon Ross, thanks for joining us. If you have questions, there's a Q&A box as part of Zoom. Just enter your question. We'll try to get through as many as we can over the course of the hour with, we're with Jason. But, you know, I guess, Jason, first place to start, you personally, just how's your health? How are you feeling? Um, give us an update on health and just sort of the state of relaunching Redef, which I know is very near and dear to you. Sure. So, you know, a lot of you guys know I had a heart surgery years ago and I'm in good shape. Um, I did have a little scare in February where we thought I had COVID and was uh, rushed to uh, basically a heart surgery. think it was my heart. And uh, sure enough, I got tested and there's nothing wrong with my heart. So that was a great way to find out. And uh, everything's been well. You know, obviously everybody's sanity is being tested during these times. And I don't think anyone has been meant to spend uh, 24 hours a day with anyone. And, uh, you know, I've taken this time uh, to watch a lot of video to maybe reprioritize some stuff. And then, as you know, I took the year off at Redef um, for the first time really in 15 years and uh, really needed it to think about what I want to write about, where I want to go into podcasts. And that'll be back in the next couple of months. We just redesigned it and, uh, and we'll be moving to a paywall at some point um, with some sort of free version, but can't wait to get back to writing and, and speaking and um, I find it very odd that I took 2020 off as if there was nothing to write about, but, <laughs> you know. A nice, quiet year. Yes. So um, what are you we watching? Have plenty to watch. So what am I watching? What are you watching? Um, listen, I, you know, I'd have to say, even if there was another, not a new show ever made again, um, the streaming services have lots of treasures for us. So 
Um, I've been watching some great docs. I just watched The Weight of Gold, which is coming on HBO, I think, at the end of the month or this week about um, the mental toll that, uh, you know, going for the gold takes on Olympic athletes. Um, watching a lot of effects on Hulu. Uh, Dave is about as funny as a show as you could find on TV, Mr. In Between, about a hitman with a heart of gold uh, in Australia. And uh, I've been going on uh, a director I love, Stefano Salimo, who loves uh, a lot of gang, he does a lot of gangster stuff. So Sicario 2 I started with. I'm just watching Finishing Gamora's uh, seasons, Finished Sabura, Blood on Rome. I got a whole list that I'll share, but uh, Gamora is the one that HBO just bought, correct? And we'll get the four seasons because I have to say, like, you know, if you if you were Jewish and it's hard for you to find the matzah, try to find four seasons <laughs> of an international television show anywhere. It's broken up as if, uh, you know, it's the uh, the Holy Grail. Choose wisely. Jason, Mitch Canner wants to know, what aren't you watching? Um, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't watched yet. I'm embarrassed to say that I still haven't seen Bull Durham. I haven't seen Princess Bride. Wait, 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 stop. Hold on, hold on. Time out. You've I think never that seen comment Princess Bride. was rhetorical, though. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Um, Let Mitch speak listen, for himself. Listen, there, were, there are some shows. there are some shows that I just – for some time. movies that for every reason I didn't pull the trigger. Um, and now that Quibi's got a, a new cool um, version of Princess Bride that everyone's watching, it's something I have to catch up on. Is everyone um, watching Quibi? Um, well, everybody on Quibi is watching Princess Bride. If, I, I will get into Quibi for a second because I actually think it's interesting. Um, full disclosure, the principals are friends of mine and I had a little to do with WonderCo in the beginning. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I want good shows. And I downloaded Quibi because um, I have friends in product and programming and executives there, and I, I'm rooting for them. Um, and I'm fascinated by how many shows they got did at launch and how many good shows there are. Um, and I would argue that some of the best stuff that I've watched in quarantine actually is on Quibi. Um, you could argue what you want about the business model or how it was marketed, and we'll get to that in a second. But one of the craziest comedies right now is called Dummy with Anna Kendrick on Quibi. I think it may be the number one or number two show on Quibi right now. I don't want to even say for your audience what it's about because it's very, uh, it's very left of center and off color, but it's very funny. Um, giving you can, what's you going on. You can explain on, it. You, you can explain um, it. It's fine. Basically, Anna Kendrick um, is a TV writer, and she is in love with another TV writer, and they're living together. And um, they have a very healthy sex life. And then she finds out that he has a proclivity for sex dolls. Um, I think it was uh, bought from Japan. And sure enough, um, she takes, I think, uh, an edible one night and then starts to believe that the doll is speaking to her and they become best friends. So um, if that's the Sounds like Brandon Ross's today, life to me. Yeah, it's just that that's, that's not true, uh, audience, but it's a very, it's a very, very funny Jesus. show. It's not safe for kids. And you realize that you can get this stuff in in one quick sitting in a night. And then the other thing I'd say, and I will go over shows in a second, but given what's going on with the politics in the country, with sports reopening or not, with race in the country, with race and sports, there is no other show to watch other than Blackballed on Quibi, which was about the LA Clippers and the Donald Sterling incident around race years ago. It's got some fantastic interviews with Jamelly Hill um, and Dick Parsons and other people that were involved in it. It's not only shows you how the NBA dealt with race, but also how the team was dealing with it. And it's as good as any 30 for 30 you'll see. Um, it was well, promoted a lot on ESPN, and I, I recommend it highly. So it, you, assuming Quibi's got this great content, 
how do they get that message out? Because that seems to be the issue. Like, you know, nothing, none of these great shows are necessarily going viral in terms of people's interest in them, which hopefully was going to, what is going to be, what was going to drive the the subscribership there. Right. I'm going to play, unfortunately and unfairly a little Monday morning quarterbacking right now on quick. So we're in a business where the tech press sort of drives, um, you know, uh, in general, what press are writing about, and certainly on things which are hybrid technologies and programming services. And unlike companies that you see in the startup space, Quibi came out with an enormous amount of hype, an enormous amount of press. If there's anything I would have done a little differently is I probably would have kept it on the low. You're Jeffrey Katzenberg and and Meg Whitman. No one's not going to write about you. Tom Conrad is a great product guy. You've got the, the, the star of the service should be the shows and the stars that are on them. And ultimately what happened is I think COVID happens. They have to make a call on whether to uh, launch. The, you could argue that it's a good decision to launch because people are home and they'll have time. However, sure. no one sitting at home in America right now is saying, I don't have enough to watch. Um, there are archives. There's all these services launching, meaning you may not find the exact show for you, but there's a lot of content out there. What they did was write the ship pretty quickly, which was they started with a brand campaign and they should have been doing content marketing. And I think Hulu did a little of this in the beginning, but you also knew that Hulu had all these reruns and all these catalog shows that people had known. So right now, I guarantee you that their charts in terms of their the popularity of their service and the upswing is tied to whatever show they're promoting. And if you have 45 shows on launch, you can't do a brand campaign. You've got to do a, a campaign that is the shows. But isn't the problem, Jason, when you think about like the the habits of consumers, you know, Netflix is something where you just open it up every night because, you know, there's something fresh and new. How do you build that habitual behavior? Nobody even knows why to open Quibi. And look, I think this is a problem for you know, Every lots service. of companies, right? This but is not just something a to bring problem. them in in the first place. You're yeah. not bringing them in for the experience. You're bringing them in because one of your friends or someone told you that there, there's this great show that you need yeah. to watch. And to Jason's point, I think that's an excellent point. They didn't promote individual shows that I remember. It was more about the brand and coming into the experience. Why not find a, a hit show and then market the shit out of that on all the social media channels to get people in? Um, I'm, I'm changing well, there, my background. A there's also right a now. chicken and the egg problem, right? In terms of getting the hit shows, you you, you need people to be on the con uh, on the platform and understand. I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you. I remember the when the own own network launched, and they had all this original programming from day one. It's very hard to make a lot of good stuff at once without the momentum of having that department going. I think Quibi la- Quibi launched with like 45 shows. I watched, I know Rich had some access to it early on. I watched about 30 of them, not uh, you know, from the first episode to the last beforehand. They have a pretty great creative success rate so far for my taste. I think the real problem was they were battling the hype that they created. And then, um, and you've got a press that was out there, you know, waiting to, um, I wouldn't say waiting to take them down, but being, you know, eagle-eyed and tough as they should be. And then without the content marketing, you're lost in the sea of all this content out there. And I think what Rich brings up is a great point, which is Netflix and Prime are destination apps. I don't even know that Disney Plus yet is a destination app. And if you think about the importance of the home screens on these products, whether it's Roku or Apple TV or Apple or, or, or Fire TV, um, how important is it for you to be on your home screen? How important is it if you add something to your watch list within an app, it's available outside the app so you know to go back into it? So now I've got Peacock, which we'll get into. I've got Hulu. I've got Prime. I've got Netflix. 
I've got Max now. And, you know, the reality is I turn to, as a reflex, Netflix and Amazon as my base. They are the structures of the home. And then you have to constantly remember. And Rich is going to talk about this in a little, but, you know, there needs to be more copying in product. Um, and I mean that, which is don't try to reinvent the wheel. You're starting to see products out there that are being built to not be Netflix from an interface perspective. Dude, but I just, and, I, thought, I thought the interface on Quibi was great. I mean, I don't, I had no issue with the interface. Quib Quibi. Quibi's, Quibi's a beautiful product. I would be proud to call it my own. I think they did great on programming. The question is, how do you get that programming into people's um, hands? And how do you get them to get a new program watched like every other channel on TV before they cancel their trial? And I wouldn't count them out yet. I've seen some numbers since they've redone their campaign and done content marketing. It's on the upswing in any app right now would be happy or ecstatic with what Quibi's doing, except for Quibi putting out what they thought they were going to do. And it's this comparison. And I, I really want to jump back to that importance of product because what is distribution these days? Distribution is having your app on a, on a platform, but it's also getting those programming cubes in front of people. And when you talk about copying, on Hulu, you still can't share a show. On Netflix, I get alerts to when shows are coming to me on all my devices. I can promote anything on Instagram stories or share it on Twitter. You have to get the word of mouth out there. And I would like to see there's a standard way of using video in many ways. And, uh, you know, some of these media companies don't need to reinvent the wheel. They need to start copying functionalities and then making them better, not trying to reinvent so that they are un-Netflix-like or un-Amazon-like. And that's a problem. When you think about, um, you know, th this idea of, you know, copying, like it, it just to me, it's like, I remember when HBO Max did their launch. And again, this is before Jason Kylar came in. And so yeah. a lot may change over the next few months. Yeah. I got it and right, by the way, Brandon. Co I pronounced copying, it right. This is, hold on. Time out. Time out. This is sorry, Jason. This is momentous. <laughs> We've done Kylar. many, 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 many <laughs> podcasts or whatever you want to call this. I mean, the first Including time, the one when he was on and he was calling him Kalar the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 I've been practicing for weeks to get this right today, like and literally just, for just weeks. Just remember that when I talk about copying, I mean it as a superlative, meaning that, you know, you're basically taking what was there. It's three chords in the guitar and then you're making it your own. I don't, you know, I think there's this whole thing of like, I don't want to be caught of as like we copied this or we copied that. I mean, you know, instant messaging was a thing. You don't see that now there's instant messaging windows, you know, people mm -hmm. copy and they iterate on top of it. But I want to go back to, so I went to the HBO Max launch event and I thought of you and what you just said. They did a whole thing on sort of attacking robo recommendations and talking about the need for human curation and that, you know, that basically they wanted to be the anti-Netflix in terms of their interface and approach. And I've never met anyone who doesn't like the Netflix interface and doesn't find content every day that they didn't know before that they wanted to watch. And it just seems crazy to me that we're trying to invent, we're going to put ads in a, a lighter ad load, but ad load. Like it just sort of amazes me that like we're trying to find something new when we've already found what works. A lot so, of that with Netflix though, Rich, as, as I think about it is you've made it such a daily habit that when you when you turn it on you're open to the recommendations that are there as opposed to services that aren't a daily habit i'm more waiting for the recommendation of friends for the for the catalyst to actually open that app in in many ways when it comes to product we are suffering from the fact that we've we've broken up the bundle 
Um, you have an app or a feed, depending on how you interact with your service. If you're a cable company, you could send a feed up to Amazon and you're just in their interface. Or you could do what Stars has done, where they have their own standalone app and it's done you know, pretty decently with that. The issue is, is that functionality changes from when you jump from app to app. You know, and some things on Amazon Fire, you can skip 30 seconds in a way. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can see the information with the show. Sometimes you can't. Um, Netflix, I think, has systematically said TV doesn't suck. What are you going to miss from TV on our service? Well, you don't have um, the ability to channel surf anymore um, if you're on an SBOD service. So they did autoplay on now servers. Uh, if you see the simplicity in which they did sharing from the app, you now can share beautiful uh, images of the show that were made for Instagram. All these little things are part of the watching. It's easy for programming executives that have been in the business for 10 or 20 or 30 years to sort of dismiss data or dismiss the importance of product. But ultimately, if you want your show to be watched, um, you've got to make it e you have to make it easy to get to it. And I do think that what Rich is also talking about, which is Netflix doesn't suffer from any legacy issues. They don't have any ad deals. They don't have any distribution deals. They haven't licensed their content to anybody else. If you're talking about starting a service, if you're Stanky's group or Kyler now, or, or even what Kevin Mayer did at Disney, what you have to unravel to get to your base one about your traditional business is so much energy for the organization that a Netflix just doesn't have. And that simplicity well, is, is something not to be discounted. Well, maybe, that, maybe the right question to be asking is, you know, when you think about the, the video world, Netflix has succeeded where yeah, Disney's trying, but they have this legacy business and Amazon has lots of other businesses and Apple has lots of other businesses. Spotify, the same thing. Music, they're a standalone or this is all they do is audio. Apple, Amazon, Google all do many other things. Like maybe it's as simple as focus. Like maybe you can't be successful in streaming unless that's all you do. I don't know if that's the right answer, but it certainly seems like it is. Certainly, there's companies like Disney that have shown excellence in multiple categories as an IP-driven company for 50, 60 years. And I don't want to discount that. But when you're making these huge leaps of breaking down your current business in order to be a leader in the other, I don't know how you can do it without focus. And I, you know, I wrote a little bit about this when Disney announced their strategy to split the company into sort of two management divisions, um, not, structure, not a stock structure, but in terms of, at the time, Kevin Mayer and then Peter Rice and other executives that were involved, you're basically suiting up for war. I think I called it like a sort of a, it was like the pre-Marshall plan when Marshall knew we couldn't go to war without, you know, possibly arming up and having the weapons and the, and the infrastructure for it. And Disney set up the company the right way. But, you know, if you've got two rowboats and you're standing one foot in the other and one foot in the, in the other, you're going to fall in the middle sometimes. And I think when you look at Netflix, you know, again, I don't want to harp on it, but like Netflix's focus has been wonderful. Every time they, every year or two, there's a, there's a Netflix killer. The stock's going down. They made too much programming. The amortization is going to kill them. Whatever the, 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 um, the excuse is, I find what Ted and Reed have done in terms of completely ignoring it or making fun of it so that the whole company can focus, not on the press, not on the stockholders, on the consumer. That's how it's worked. And I will say that, to, you know, I... I was surprised at HBO Max as a product because I know the product team, you know, I know the product leader and I think he is, you know, he's a great, you know, they're, they're a great team and I think they'll get there. I think they had to unweave stuff. They locked themselves into a launch plan. I think they'll fix it. They've got some of the best 
um, programming people in television, Casey Bloys, Kevin Riley. If you look at Peacock, I was shocked at how good of a, uh, how good of a product Peacock was. Because to me, in the past, Comcast hasn't shown me the greatest product. Um, and they did a fantastic job on Peacock from branding to products to actually having originals that mattered. So I don't know, I don't know the original for HBO Max that came out that was defining for the service. And you may not like it or not, but Brave New World, the Aldous Huxley um, uh, book, they did for a Peacock original. It is a massive production. If you like sci-fi and sort of all the stuff that's going to go on with artificial intelligence and, and, um, and, 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 uh, you know, sort of societal changes. It's a very cool number one strike for, or number one uh, swing for a show. You need to come out with a great product and you need to come out with some defining shows. And how Max didn't have 10 to 20 originals that would kill it, given who their programming people are, that just set that service aside is beyond me. And then finally, because I need to take a breath, if you're talking about Quibi and any of your issues around the programming versus the product, decipher the HBO branding. It was like three card Monty with a brand, you know, which HBO for me. And finally they're fixing that. All right. Oxygen, bring the oxygen. <laughs> should we give you, should we give you a little break? No, no. Okay. Hit him. Yeah. Come okay. on, let's go. Yeah. I'm good. For um, another so thing. among, among these new launches, these new competitive platforms to, to Netflix is, is Peacock the one that you're most excited about? And does it has H? I mean, it's early for HBO Max, right? Um, it hasn't been as successful out of the gate, obviously, as as people had hoped. What's the path there? How do yeah. they how do they fix I, it? At the end of the day, um, you know, it is the content stupid. I mean, as as important as product is, don't get me wrong, and. If you, I'll just, for my taste, if you look at the history of HBO and that catalog, there's just nothing like it in the history of television. It, creatively, if you look at Casey Bloises and his team's lineup over the last two years, it's been phenomenal. Even the shows, and I can't say how they did, but even the shows on T T TNT that Kevin Riley, it's, uh, you know, Animal Kingdom and others that they spearheaded are great stuff. I am not worried about HBO Max. And you look at Peter Ross unit, if you look at the studio under Toby, they're going to have great content and they'll get the marketing and the, the programming down. There are lots of questions on whether or not the, the house needs another service, meaning what's going to be your base. You get prime for free. If you join for prime, Netflix is your base. And then are you going to add one, one or two more? I think, listen, I have biases just like everybody else. And I often think that cable companies are, you know, lazy and slow and ride models down, but I think creatively Peacock is a beautiful service the graphic transitions and all the stuff they've done with the logos are beautiful. The amount of catalog is fantastic. I know, you know, Rich can talk about this. They're losing movies back and forth, but that's, and they've also done some great originals. I have promise for them. Really what I'm looking at is I think there are executives there and you also see this at Viacom, which are coming into the streaming game a little late. And they also think there's going to be some SVOD fatigue and whether they knew they didn't know COVID was coming, but they thought there'd be some sort of downturn in the economy, possibly, that hybrid services are necessary. I don't know if you guys can answer this, but I joined Peacock to pay, but I still think I, st I still will get some ads. They're not trashing ads all over, but they also need to think about ads as a product. So one of the problems that you had, and Kyler um, Kalar had to deal with this or whatever, had to deal with this when he, when he launched 
Now our Hulu is <laughs> what is the, and he's okay with it. What is the what is the ad load? And one of my issues with ad load is I'm used to skipping an ad on YouTube if I don't like it. I'm used to the targeting of Instagram to be so accurate that the ads are almost an addition, like a, a value add to the programming. And then I don't want to see the same ad 50 times, you know, the retargeting issues that we have or the AD issues, ADU issues that a, the streaming service could have. If I bought six pairs of Adidas 20 minutes ago, don't show me Adidas right now. I have Peacock. Um, so I, thought the ad load, I thought the ad load was very light, as a matter of fact. I had it on Apple TV, and it actually gave me no ads, which is bizarre. I was binging Matrix before they took it, took it away. and then I, I imagine my- that was launch issue because I know with Brave New World, they I think it's one ad per show. Like more of in the old days, like Gerald. So the Matrix was they they loaded me like 190 seconds ahead, and then nothing throughout the movie. I flipped to my laptop, and all of a sudden they dropped in like 30 seconds every now and then. But it was I was very light compared to some of the ad loads I've gotten in the past on some of the individual network apps. I don't know how often I don't remember lots of programming executives when I was at um, Fox or or MTV sitting down and, and saying. Um, what's the programming load doing to what my network looks like? You know, they would deal with it when they have an ADU situation or they'd have to, you know, give givebacks. My problem is if you're watching something and it has five breaks and in those five breaks, you're going to see the same two ads every single time or multiple times within a break. There's something cognitively that makes me turn off from the service and it bothers me. And it's hard to get over that at some point. Well, and it's that's a little about getting a- advertiser scale, though, right? I think a, a lot of time with TV everywhere, you got that a ton because there were a limited number of advertisers that wanted advertise on TV everywhere. I couldn't even tell and you listen, why they have it. They're I think it, with it. Peacock, they have a limited number of launch partners launch, also, yeah, which is yeah. which is going to keep the ad load down, which is what you experience, Walt, but perhaps will add to a little bit of repetition. At the I still can't understand this, the, the ad skipping t- part. But there's no skipping, so, so but I couldn't tell you what ad was on because let's go back to what Gary Vee was saying. Is like I was looking at my phone or flipping to another tab. Like I don't even know what the ads were. So like, I don't know if it was the same ad, unless it was like, like same ambulance chaser. I don't think I would have judged I, I think, it, judged it based one, on the ads, Jason. One of the things that, and I don't want to be ageist about this, but it has to do with who is running your divisions when it comes to streaming? Who are your executives at the top of the company? What are their experiences in media on a daily basis? Are they the people that have the IT people come to their house and change things? Do they have the Bel Air circuit stuff at home so they don't see any um, commercials and things? The reality is that I think sometimes the experience that we are seeing are backing in, backing into um, trying to maintain uh, parity at a business level and not taking hits. The Hulu board used to fight with this all the time on ad load versus what was a good experience. And to be honest with you, there's some things around online that bother me. I mean, it's not just online. Online targets you, but as you know, ads follow you around the internet. So, you know, I tell this story all the time early on in my days, but God forbid you search for an omelet pan, you know, you're going to get stalked by an omelet pan across the internet for, for 12 days. It'll be, Amazon will be amazon.omelet.com. We need to figure out overall what the experience is, what the loads are that we can deal with. And you're also dealing with multi-generations right now using the same service. And a kid has a very different expectation than the parent, than the millennial, the Gen Z. And it's a real problem. And I frankly 
when you're on Fire or Roku or Apple and you're jumping in and out of apps, it's all over the place. Well, Jason, my daughter, who's 10, she loves Friends and she's been watching it, used to watch it on Netflix and now she's watching it on HBO Max. And literally the third day of watching, she just turns to me and goes, Dad, why can't they just do a skip intro button? I have to watch the same intro and drag my finger two minutes every single time. Why can't they just be more like Netflix and just copy that feature? And, you know, and, it, like there's just little things like ad skipping, like you just mentioned, like if, you, if you've already seen the ad and you don't want to watch it or it doesn't relate to you, skip it. Uh, we've learned that behavior that, on that, YouTube. You know, when you were on a DVD and you were watching Lost on DVD and doing the binge catch up, every episode that you went into, you sort of had to see the recap. You sort of had to see the graphics. If you look at what Netflix has done, and I don't think Netflix meant any disrespect to the creative community, they broke down the components of a show. They broke down the logo, they broke down the intro, they broke down the credits. If you're on a binge, do I need to see the FX logo or the HBO boom, you know, every single time? I'm an, I'm, um, I, you know, I'm, you guys know this about me. I'm not a patient person, you know, and, and uh, I could get angry about a lot of things. If the hamburger comes out well done or the plane's not on time, I don't, I want to have this experience where you get me lost. And when you get me lost and then you keep, um, releasing stuff that's going to get me lost, I'll never leave you. So we had a question well, that came on, in that, from Alistair. That second, part, that second part is probably the key one. You actually have yes. to have something else after getting getting lost in whatever you're watching. So after I'm done Mandalorian, what am I, what am I watching again? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I would say this about Disney+. Plus. You look at that, what they've built, what they've acquired, those brands that are atop from Pixar and National Geographic and I actually think they should bring Disney nature up a bit because I love that stuff. But there was a tremendous amount of hubris about that catalog, as there should be. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're looking at a merger. I don't know that they did this, but, you know, I got to imagine that Disney Fox together is creating 35% of the TV or film content out there in general. And you would think that television production units like that could have, like, stacked you. Now, you could argue that they made the calculated risk that they weren't going to see churn. And they could have opened anyway. And they, as long as they had Mandalorian and the seven other shows that launched, the eight other shows, they were good. But you know, again, remember, the four of us are hard customers. Um, but I look at the same thing with HBO Max, which is look who you have. You have basically the, the best athletes that ever created programming. It shouldn't be too hard to find some of this stuff there. I think a lot of it has to do with infighting. Maybe something was scheduled to go on a network and they didn't want to rebrand it as being an original for, for there. Um, but all those things are actually important when it comes to watching a show. And that repetition bothers me. And um, it, it gets in the way of the storytelling. And if you look at like Stars, for example, who has a smaller programming slate than some of the channels that we've talked about, you know, when Outlander was over, Power came in. And when Power was over, Hightown comes in. Meaning, I don't know the exact choreography, but my point is it's going to grab me with something that keeps me going. And, and what Ted Sarandos and that group understood is, if you're programming for the entire video universe and there's always good little candies coming out, if you remember, I tell this, Rich and I have talked about this all the time. I'm 49. You got to Christmas or, or Thanksgiving in the TV business on basic cable and broadcast. It was, it was uh, you know, floats and fairs and holidays. It was movies and music videos and MTV because you made your number for the fourth quarter. Why would you ever waste a rating? Now on, on Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, you get this thing from Netflix, which is here's two documentaries and three comedies and a music show and, and a new drama. And they're also owning categories 
that you, I mean, Bruce Springsteen on Netflix, all the comedians are on Netflix today. Who would have said that five years ago? No one. So w- when you look at, we have a question that came in from Alistair Jeffs. When you think, what is the impact do you think the culture of Sky has had on Peacock and NBC? Um, I literally can't answer that. I could, I could only say, you know, in the past, um, you know, as I met with Sky over the years, they were proficient in product in a way that U.S. companies weren't. Um, they looked at, uh, at and a lot of that on- team is building Peacock or built Peacock with, you know, for, with the help of the U.S. team. I, you know, if, if that was the case, I would look to see, you know, Peacock to even get better. Maybe the promise of integrated commerce at some point, um, whether buying the stuff that's on your screen and maybe going directly at Instagram in terms of, uh, you know, uh, communicating, you know, good and proper ads. Um, but also the interactivity around programming in general. But I don't, I don't know enough about Sky culturally, but I know that if I look back over the years when I was at Fox and MySpace, when I was early on at, uh, at Viacom, I was always impressed internationally with what they were doing at product that we couldn't do in the United States. Uh, so a little bit of breaking news, Jason, while we were on, uh, news just crossed news. the tape on CNBC. We don't have the ticker. We should get that. But uh, CNBC is saying that Tenant will open up in select international countries in late August. And then over Labor Day, they're going to launch it on a rolling basis, city by city in the U.S. <laughs> and this is theater. Theaters. So for everybody that doesn't are, are these, know what Tenant is, are these the boat is, theaters, everyone, these know, the boat theaters or not, actual theaters? I think it's actual theaters first as a first window. Is that correct? Movie theaters, August 26th overseas, and then Labor Day weekend in certain U.S. cities that will allow movie theaters to be open. You know, I'm going to back up here for a second. <laughs> Obviously, this is, this is Christopher Nolan, probably our greatest filmmaker today or one of the greatest filmmakers today. Um, a movie that everybody wants to see, obviously being pushed back um, as everybody's, you know, uh, lineup is. I'm dying to see Jim Giannopoulos' lineup at Paramount. You know, it's sort of his lineup coming up. Um, you know, we all thought we were going to be in our apartment for a month. Um, the hubris of the United States has been pretty amazing. I don't want to get into this politically, but more of like, we are magnificent and our magnificence have, has stopped us from really locking this thing down. There's nothing that's going on today that still makes me believe that we're going to be any better at those times unless we really start to lock down, not in terms of commerce, but in terms of masks and things like this. But it does bring up a point, which is you have something hitting media that has never happened to any business before. It's, you know, with with COVID, with all these things and uncertainty going on in the world. Media is the one thing that our country's turning to. You see the streaming numbers going through the roof. Then you have companies like Disney that are operating all these multifaceted businesses, and they've always been able to lean on those businesses when streaming was new or when there was piracy issues or theaters weren't doing as well. Now you have an issue where those businesses can't be leaned on the same way. And if I was in a media company, and I'm being a little Pollyannish about this because I come from startups where you can sort of not worry about the past, what are the media companies doing to change their model? for the future. Can they take advantage of COVID to change their model? And for those of you that like HBO, there was a show called Oz. And it was about prison and living and surviving in prison. And it was always interesting to me that the people that survived in that show were the ones that killed their cellmates. And I talk about this all the time. I don't know that the movie theaters and and the studios can really be on the same page going forward. I don't know why that movie has to be in the theater other than Christopher Nolan wants it there. And because there's a film ultimate that says that the gross of this movie is going to be that. 
But what I'm saying is if you just, you know, Mark Cuban early on with his film company was doing direct releases. They weren't huge movies, but he was trying. But if you had something like a tenant that was a direct release, it's the, it's the thing, it's the spring that needs to get pushed over in order to make this stuff happen. And again, I'm being Pollyannish about it. I understand how the studio looks at it, but I, I cannot believe that they are depending on those numbers. It's also Look interesting the just because there's incremental value that they can generate via HBO Max subs. They, they can use that as a leverage point. So there's that well, one's actually did. unique in that situation, obviously. If I got to imagine, I don't want to speak for Kyler, but like if, if, if I am way, I'm not as smart as Jason, any stretch of the imagination, but I'm thinking about, I have the, one of the greatest content engines ever built. And I, and I don't have a direct consumer relationship and I have to pay other people to get to consumers, to get my fee, get my movies into things that I don't own for a company that doesn't want, for companies that don't want to go with us into the future, AMC and others, AMC stopping trying to not a- distribute universal. AMC theaters, to be clear. A- yeah, AMC theaters. An investment in a piece of content has a lifetime customer value acquisition. If you're getting tenant on a service and you're joining up HBO Max and what that means for yeah. that customer long-term, the asset value that you're building for a company like AT far outweighs the treadmill run that you're on to put that in the theater. And by the way, I still love going to the theater. I love when those lights go down. I love that you can't use your phone. I love that you lose yourself for two hours. But when I go and hang out with my nieces and nephews or Rich's kids are on the floor while he's on the couch, they're not looking at, at, at movie screens. So, so what's the what's the risk if they go to Nolan and say, "Look, this is what we're doing. We need to go, we need to sign up for HBO Max subs." Are they, are they afraid that he won't do projects with him in the future? Is that is that your cost, and is that a cost that it's worth? Is that a risk worth taking for the Rich, value? You know, Rich and I have really wrote a lot about this over the time, and to be honest with you, I do believe that artists have a lot to say here, and you know, and sure. I am someone who respects creatives. I like to think of myself as one. I'm not Christopher Nolan, and yes, would I like to see that? Um, movie in the theater and every single time these day and date issues come up someone takes a full page ad in the new york times or in variety or in hollywood reporter and they get jim cameron and everybody to sign it well chris nolan's always the first signature and always the first signature and i and by the way there is something pure about that and i get it and by the way the academy is doing the same things a streaming movie that isn't in the theater i mean you have to release something in the past in order to get it recognition i just have a real problem with it and if you're not doing simultaneous release, I have a real problem with it. And I guarantee you, you know, anyone that's ever tried to write a business, it's hard sometimes, but you know that you have to rip the Band-Aid off. And sometimes when you rip the Band-Aid off, it's not as hard as you thought it was going to be. Yep. And I would like to see the guts of some studio to try to take that A release and do that. And what better time to have done that than during a place where you'll get the buy. You'll, the street will understand why you did what you did. And you and could that's not go happening. back if it doesn't work sure. because you could say it was just COVID. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yet, you know, Rich could talk more about this, but, you know, I don't understand why every streaming service doesn't have a white label for the theaters. I don't understand why the CEO of AMC didn't go to the movie studios and say, well, if you're going to go at us, give us your platform and put our name on it. In fact, I don't understand why 25 years ago the theaters didn't own VOD, starting with Blockbuster used to have channels. I, you know, I'm the dumbest guy in the room, but my point is – you know, kill yourself and re and reimagine yourself before someone else shoves you. Look, I think the do other think issue that, that do you think Disney ahead. should take should take this approach too? I know people look at them very differently because of the franchises they have, 
and sort of the flywheel that they've built. Uh, do, do you think there's that- no one stu- there, you know there's no one stupid in this ecosystem? If you if you're sitting with Disney, I'm sure that Josh Silverman, who does consumer products, is sitting there. Um, the, the heads of the studio are sitting there. The people for TV windows are sitting there. They're making a calculated decision about how it's going to affect their business. But I would argue for all of Netflix's genius, for all its wonderful things that it does for us in culture, these were not rocket science ideas. They were basically taking advantage of the sloth of people that were caught in the traditional model. And there's no question to me that most Disney executives would rank me as being a radical when it comes to this stuff. And yes, I'm radical because I've never had Disney revenue. I've never had to protect Disney revenue. And they're making the transition as well as any media company has by a mile. But as a fan, and certainly knowing what I'm missing right now, I'm not going into a theater. You know, I, I just, I, I went away for a couple of days. And well, I, but, but hold on, let now, me just stop you right there for a second, because that's an interesting topic. Like Walt Disney World is open, sort of encouraging people to go on vacation to Florida. We had Dr. Ding, a Harvard, you know, former Harvard um, epididymologist on Lightshed Live a couple of weeks ago. And he basically said indoor spaces are probably the worst place to be, such as a movie theater right now. Opening up movie theaters sort of puts increasing liability, not just on the movie theaters, but also the content that's being put into them. Like you're basically inviting people to spread the disease at this point. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, it's very easy for someone to sit at home and watch CNN or Fox and everything and sort of stick it to Disney. You and I were talking about this, which is they're a caring company. You know, we know, I know the people there. I don't think they, they do anything with willy nilly, um, you know, sort of reaction. And to be honest with you, this is unprecedented times. Okay. Now we're looking to the movies that they did as, as bellwethers to see what's real. You know, it's like times we should be watching Twister to find out what it's like to live through a disaster. If you're employing 77,000 people at a park, I've been down to Orlando. I went down, um, for uh, Rise of the Rest with Steve Case. And we did a tour of the local businesses there like EA Sports or other businesses beyond just what's going on at Disney, Disney World. But the entire ecosystem is dependent on tourism down there, not just them, but Universal. And then you're looking at the numbers. You know, Every single one of us has five friends who are you know, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, all geniuses. They're numbers crunchers in ways that I, you know, I'm, I'm not. And they're not COVID experts, but they're all banging away in the feed on what's going on with COVID. And there are some that believe that, like, listen, we know a little more about the virus now. We understand that there's going to be death. While nothing is acceptable, society has to function. And the cascading effect of, of a, something like a Disney World and all the local businesses and all the families and all the schools and everything that collapses in there, these are decisions that King Solomon would have an ulcer from. So I, I'm not so quick to dismiss how they've done it, though I will say this, when I'm watching the spacing out and I see six feet, you can't really think given human nature. I can't get a guy at the track to wear a freaking mask, let alone, you know, 50, 60, 500,000 people in, in a park. When you, when you see people walk in and they throw caution to the wind, what you're also seeing something is about spirit, which is there's selfishness there in terms of um, consumers, but there's also people who just want to live. So when I, I know we're going to beat this and I know we're going to get a vaccine at some point. And then I'm big on parks. I'm big on Live Nation. There's nothing more that I want to do than go see a concert. And we all talk about Disney, but what Rapino is surfing right now is the 100 is the year wave. This is the one that yeah. Bodhi and Keanu couldn't surf. And it's the hardest thing in the world. And yet I can think of no other industry that I'm going to run out to day one 
than a concert. There's there just may, that human connection. There may not be any competitors left for for, for Live Nation at, at that point because Listen, who knows when concerts usually, are actually going to come back. Innovation and you know strong strategic tactics usually clear out sectors, but so do pandemics. So you know we'll see what happens. But that, that's my reaction on Disney, which is it's not an easy decision. And you know the other problem that you have if you're a fan or just a consumer or a citizen, Rich, is what do you really know between f- federal, state, and local, between your news organizations, and between every genius friend of you have crunched numbers in the feed? What are you supposed to listen to? Well, yeah. all I know is it's not working out very well for baseball. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, baseball's like been like it's it's like you know trying to rewind on Tebow, and I I would have you know like just replaying this. I can't. I think I think the optimism because we've never seen anything like this is something that's wild, and I think it's causing us to make decisions that are hopeful and probably illogical at this point. And if I was a sport, there's also just a, a lack of patience. I think at, at this point. And, and people are bored, so. <laughs> but it's like any other issue in society, which is think of all the, the constituents. You have a player that needs to earn for their family. This is their dream. And yet they don't want to get sick. You have owners who spend money. You have fans who, I mean, think about no production in television and film and no sports. America is going to get really fat and, uh, you know, and there's not the things that we do for fun in terms of a big pastime are not there for us. Well, in, in, the, in the meantime, I think one of the things we've been spending a lot of time on, especially us at home, has been on, on news. I was curious if you've been watching as much cable news as we have, first of all. And second of all, what you think, um, the co- how you think the coverage has been handled uh, across the networks um, for the virus, for the Black Lives Matter movement, and also for the election? I have to, you know, again, it's it's hard not to answer these questions without having some sort of internal bias that I know or don't know about it. I can say that the being home as much in the pandemic has turned me off of news more than ever before. Um, certainly when there was violence in the street or the things going on in Portland or the Black Lives Matter movement, I turned to television and online because I wanted to see those things. And I, I think that proper protest um, is well overdue in America and those things are important. But I will tell you that for me, and maybe there's not a business there, the American you know, news ecosystem, certainly on television, has lost me completely for the most part. There is individual shows and talent. But if you're looking at a generation that's growing up with not understanding the difference between a journalist, a reporter, and a pundit. Um, and even when you see defenses, and I'm not going to harp on Fox News, but when they're defending Hannity or any of those guys in court, they're basically saying this isn't the New York Times. Like, we're not saying this stuff is true. They, they literally say we are not a news organization, and they say people are supposed to know that Fox News primetime is, quote unquote, not news. And the original, you know, for all these Does, does CNN give that disclaimer? And CNN no. has, listen, even though the say, moniker yeah. is fair and balanced news. <laughs> I grew, I grew up with Ted <clears throat> Turner and, and the promise of CNN. CNN was a background channel to me. And, you know, I don't think there's a moral equivalency between CNN and Fox, but I think CNN in many ways has gone off the, you know, gone off the deep end. I think they I have ignored, they've ignored lots of things going on in society. When you have a, when you have a president, whether you like him right or wrong, that's making news every day at a, at a clip that no one's ever been used to, 
you can say, yes, you're going to be um, disciplined and you're not going to take every bite at the apple. But I can tell you that it's turned me off. Um, I wish there was this middle of the ground reportage news. What I have done, and it's fascinating as you see the rise of Substack and newsletter, paid newsletters and sort of where Redef was a pioneer in this, is that individual The, the, the first voices, curator. Um, well, not really. That was sort of God. But, but um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, I, I trust journalists. I, I have a, I'm a big fan of Essie Cup. Um, and I like what she does, punditry, but also reporting on CNN. I like David Frum. Um, even journalists that I don't agree with or I don't politically align myself with, I tend to subscribe to journalists. And they themselves, you know, in a world where there's been lots of editors let go at newspapers, where some of these television channels don't actually have an editor that isn't their CEO or an ombudsman, um, I really would like to see um, – a middle ground on just reporting stuff and not see eye rolls from my, from my um, anchors, um, not knowing that you're going into, if you, if you know the channel already agrees with you, it's doing you a disservice to watch it sometimes because you're never yeah, going to be exposed it's, to anything else. It's a else. filter bubble. It's the same thing that happens on Twitter. But on the we flip all side, follow you... people that we are much more likely to agree with and we never hear the other side anymore. There, I think there both really sides is no vomit, actual though. fair and balance. So what's the path to fixing that in this country? You could, argue, you could argue, though, and I have this discussion with David Rhodes, who's the former head of CBS News often. You could argue that our memory of what fair and balanced was, was, was not real, meaning there was always bias. There was always uh, papers taking stances. There was always built internally in that even in the world where we look back at Cronkite. Um, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you. I don't know if it's some blockchain type thing. I don't know if it's a good billionaire because um, good billionaires often turn into bad billionaires. I am very worried about it, but I want to talk about two things when it comes to this. Don't they One own is, the press already, the billionaires? Yep. To a um, yeah, they are getting there. But I also, want succession. You know, but by the way, you could also, it's, you know, people say, well, there's a Bezos, but there's also a Sinclair, meaning, they're all over the place. If you look at television news, it is the original Facebook feed. There's a reason why they put sports at, you know, at a certain place. There's a reason why they showed you bad news. Those are real issues. And um, I have to say, like, I don't know I mean, anyone that is Local TV, if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, that was the original way local TV worked. I don't know anyone that isn't dealing with some form of anxiety right now. And I always tell the story that if you put me on Twitter and I have a resting heartbeat of 68, Literally, I could scroll the feed once and I'd get to 95 within seconds. And that's a problem for me. And I have to say, my answer to that has been seeking out comedy. Comedy is well, a growth industry for me. Well, look, we're going to move on to, to, uh, to mobile platforms in a second. But one last question yep. on news to round it off. If you were sitting in Rupert Murdoch's shoes, would you be worried that if Trump loses, he starts a competitor? Again, this is com me being completely a thousand foot in the air. There's no question in my, in my mind that Trump... Uh, does it because he, you know, he's like Kanye in that respect, except Kanye's that way for a certain reason. He has to be the center of attention. He, and, and unfortunately, what we found is media leads without having to lead. Think about Fox News and its impact on the White House. It is essentially a direct line to the White House right now. He is a direct line to Fox. They disagree on certain things. There's certain pundits, but given the narcissistic tendencies of Trump. And it doesn't matter. I don't believe that Trump believes all these things that he's saying or if he even knows. 
It's about getting the attention. And when a narcissist, if you've seen them, they go on feedback, they go on crowd and television or, or in this case, streaming media will get there. And I believed it was a real thing when you heard about Trump TV. And I think it's like day one what happens. All right, let's shift, to let's, shift, let's shift to TikTok and we'll take another one from Alistair Jeffs in our Q&A. Wants to hear uh, your take on TikTok. Kids are watching it bigly and it might have impact on today's politics. So just in general, I think, obviously we spend a lot of time on this ourselves. Um, just what, what your thoughts are here in general. You know, again, I, I, I have the greatest focus group in the world, which is Liz's two boys, nine and 11, and my nieces who are, you know, uh, whatever, they're 10, 12, and 14 at this point. That makes me very old. And I don't need to look any further than to seeing what they're doing. And TikTok is a real thing. Um, it would be my mistake to think that all of TikTok is just Charlie D'Amelio. I watch it for basketball dunks and other kinds of things. Um, I find it fascinating in terms of what they've done on getting families together. Um, so, you know, in other platforms or Twitter may be your own private thing or you watch your Netflix on your own, but kids, you know, I see Mark Cuban and his kids doing dance alongs or, you know, my, my uh, nieces and nephews or Liz and her kids. It's fascinating to me. So when you go on it, how much time do you spend on it, Jason? Do you end up getting stuck there for the 45 minutes when you get the guy saying, Hey, it's time to turn this off. Listen, like Quibi, I could watch two shows in a night and, and be good and not have to come back until the next day. TikTok, I've never monitored. What, what, why I know I love TikTok is I get lost. Right. I, don't remember, I don't remember how I came in. <laughs> I don't remember how I left. Um, one of my or favorites when you left. is I, I've, been, I've been searching for Sicilian children hand talking lately. I love how they hand talk. Um, it was a, I, I found some video that Jason Kyler shared that I thought was fantastic. Um, I think TikTok is amazing. Uh, the is Jason a good follow on, on TikTok? I have to say he curates pretty well. You know, he, he, he likes his Rex, Rex Chapman videos and all this kind of stuff, but he finds some good things. Rex Chapman. Um, awesome. and, and listen, you know, as I've said before, Jason is a fan. So if you're a fan of things, product or others, the thing about TikTok that's fascinating to me, and I'd like to know where Irving Azoff and Scooter Braun and others are, I don't think they pay for music rights at TikTok. I look at TikTok, I look at all these services that are so dependent on music rights, and I'm thinking that publishing should be the greatest business in the world right now, and they're not getting paid. They pay wonder, some. They they pay some, but remember, it's short fifteen second clips. It's not full songs, and so it's a very reduced rate. I don't know who Kevin should be more afraid of, whether movements in the Chinese government affect TikTok in the United States or Irving Gazoff and Scooter Braun and others coming after TikTok for music rights. Um, but I, I, I listen. The reality is, it's happening. I didn't understand YouTube talent in the beginning. You know, th those guys weren't my thing. But when I saw how they were talking directly to kids, I know it's a thing. And, you know, if you look at new kinds of content companies, you'd think everyone's making their own stuff. But if you like Van Toffler's got a company he used to run MTV called Gunpowder and Sky, he's doing films, he's doing short form, he's doing TikTok, he's doing podcast. The entertainment company of today has a rolling continuum of how content comes in. And even when it comes to podcasts, you look at guys like Ron Howard and Brian Grazer at Imagine, they started a podcast unit watching what's going on in the podcasting space. I think it's going to be the development arm for TV and film, but it's also going to be standalone stuff for just pods. Those things are all exciting to me. And I'd like to make sure I'd like to see where the big media companies are going to get in on some of that stuff. I want to shift gears to video games a little bit because we haven't spoken about it. And there's obviously been a lot of time spent during the pandemic on it. Um, a couple of things. It's kind of a two part question. 
One is it looks like Warner is thinking about shopping their games unit, which has been the pretty much the only traditional media company that's built a real video games unit. Do you think that's the right move for them, first of all? And second of all, why do you think traditional media companies missed on games so so hard? I mean, I mean there's lots of there's lots of it. There's lots of parallels to video games and traditional businesses in terms of development of a film, development of a video game. Um, I think we go back to what Rich brought up earlier in the conversation about focus. At the end of the day, your, your entire company, even if guys like us have been screaming fire in the theater for many years, is transitioning right now. There are new incumbents in Amazon Prime and Netflix that weren't there because you didn't move. And if you find yourself and you're in arrears in lots of different places, we know that you know how to make video. We know you know how to tell stories. So how do you double down on that, ramp up your production, start to create services, whether it's Pluto or Peacock or others, where you're getting more value out of what you're already creating and what you're the best at? Um, video games are different. The, the, the horizon is very long. The technologies and, and, um, and IP that you need to own is different, meaning you can use IPs. But also at the same time, you're talking about game engines and all sorts of functionalities. I remember going over Jeffrey showing me the sort of setups at DreamWorks. DreamWorks in many ways was set up similar to a video game company. I mean, they were doing deals with HP to create movies faster. Every game, every um, movie had billions of files in different worlds. I actually think we're at a time where maybe some of these companies are levered. Um, they need the cash. They don't have the focus. But also if you think about traditionally, they've usually just licensed out their IP thrown that game on top of an existing engine. And, and when I was on the board of MGM, we did this with Bond. Those games weren't great. We sort of got some upfront money, but we weren't really a partner in it. I would, I would rather see major deals done with huge studios, uh, meaning huge game studios that, that do good work and that you having a, an arm in development, but also in the long-term value of a game that you'd create. No differently than SVOD, this is something that the gaming companies whiffed on. When I sit and watch... Liz's kids play um, uh, Fortnite and the amount of time they spend in it, which is not doing something else and the amount of stuff they buy and that lifetime value of theirs and, and V bucks, everything's V bucks now. I mean, God forbid I could buy ice cream anymore. Like that's something that I got to think that this, that they must be pitching themselves about because that's a kind of revenue model that they haven't had. And if you think about Disney, I mean, Early on in the multiplayer universe, there were all these new kinds of games, but think about Marvel as a multiplayer universe game. Or think about StarWars.com and the amount of characters and planets and weapons and clothes and technologies that have been built out. It's amazing to me that those things didn't make the transition. And I don't know that it ever happens that way again. Maybe a video game company buys a studio or maybe a tech platform buys a video game company and a studio. I mean, EA makes Star Wars video games, but it it's just never not been tight. Yeah, it's not the same. It's yeah. never right. been. We we wrote about Disney place. buying EA, I think, or Activision. What six years ago now, and it hasn't the happened. Activision, I mean, yeah, yeah. But what do you guys Jason, think about uh, about esports? You know, I, I haven't been able to figure out why it's good to be an owner. I understand why it's good to own the league. I, I understand why it's I don't, good to be a player. I don't, I don't think it why is it's good to be an owner. I don't think it is good to be an owner, especially of of one particular sport. Because really, you're seeing new esports kind of pop up every year. Uh, you have Fortnite now, Call of Duty's making a, a new comeback. 
Um, you have Valorant. And I, I don't know that I'm getting the value in owning a, um, an esports team that's going to be there for longer than two, three, four, or five years. I mean, yep. look, look at what happened with Overwatch. Overwatch, the game kind of fell off a cliff in the past couple of years. Everyone's waiting for new content. And um, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see a lot of these studios, frankly. I mean, again, you know, I played on a smaller scale when I'm in a startup so I can take these risks. But every single time I look for innovation, I always look at hip hop. Hip hop figures, it, figures shit out. And, you know, you look at Travis Scott doing the concert on Fortnite, which was literally the talk of our house that week. Um, you know, uh, how uh, talent has sort of moved their, their way into those video games. Have they brought video games into their songs? There's just something about, it's really, you know, if I look at SVOD as being one of the really big things that the studios missed, but yet they were able to catch up because they still own their catalog, gaming is going to go down as like one of those, and, and gaming in many ways Whoa. is still a niche business, if you could believe uh, it. Uh, hold on, they haven't caught up yet. They're, they're playing the no, game no. now, no, my, but my, they my, certainly... My point, my point is you have, you have the bedrock of what you need for that service. You know how to produce you have the catalog, you can get it back, meaning it's not a lost cause. You say that though, look, although I still think about it, and Brandon and I have argued about this, like it's just a studio business. It's a different form of studio. It's a living, breathing, iterating studio, but it's still a studio business um, that it's relies- it's, it's, You have to work with uh, here, technology. Here, yeah, there's, there's no question you do, and those are the units where we'll talk about this, but like we have to start to see ways in which the media companies embrace technological and engineering talent and product talent in a way that they've treated movie stars. I think what I'm saying is that you have a catalog there. If you're a studio, you, you have a production unit. You know, I would argue that Peter Ross unit at Warner probably does a hundred shows a year that are, that are probably quality wise better than the hundred that Netflix does. Maybe right now, I think Netflix is getting there. Um, they just haven't been ready to, I think now Warner is, but you have to be ready to turn all those focusing on one thing. Well, let's talk about the, the idea of water cooler content. Someone asked a question, uh, an anonymous person asked, let's talk about Regis. He was peak TV. And to remind everyone, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out in 1999 and started stripping every night in 1999. And the comment was, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was the epitome of the water cooler. Will anything like that ever come back? Can streaming compete with those types of ratings or share a voice? Oh, you have to look at it differently. I mean, no differently than television executives had to look at C3, C7, C12 as a cube. Obviously, it's not all about the first week. I think where I lament, I remember when I was at Viacom, we would have our senior executive meeting every Monday morning. And you'd go in and we talked about The Sopranos, content we didn't own for 45 minutes before the meeting started every week. Nowadays, I'm worried. You know, I, I have to write about stuff in such an abstract way. I can't I can't really say something on, on, on digital media because my followers or my colleagues aren't necessarily watching in the same way that that happens. Certainly, there are things within smaller groups of people like Stranger Things, which I think was a major cultural event for a certain age group. It was something that, uh, which was a, a bridge between me, who's been trying to show Back to the Future and Raiders of the Lost Ark and, all, and Gremlins to kids who you know, say, what's, what's a DVD? You know, uh, those are wonderful moments. I think the problem that we get into is why compare it to the past? There are similarities, but they're just different now. And I, I will say this, I, I haven't, 
totally used it that I mean, way. I feel like I Tiger King it. sort of is a cultural phenomenon, right? Like Tiger everyone was, was talking about it as much as Tiger Walt King, hates it. Tiger King is a cultural moment. The kids are singing, you know, uh, uh, things about Carol Baskin. I love the idea of watch party. Um, I don't know if there's a watch party that could work on the 10 foot interface, which is usually where I watch stuff. But this idea of watching together and then talking about it is something that I lament. You know, I go in and watch a show. The real discussion right now is, do you have permission from your wife or husband to watch without them? You know, 50% of divorces probably happen because you go and cheat on the show. Then once you watch the show, who are you allowed to talk about it with? And then if you're not allowed to talk about it with somebody, then you're trying to get your friends to watch it so that you could, are you at episode three yet? The funniest show on TV right now is Dave on FX and Hulu. And I'm waiting for my friends to watch that show as they were waiting for me. Did you get to episode six? Did you watch the video in episode 10? It's a little too much work versus when you watch that stuff live like Lost. And then I could call Ricky Van Veen afterwards and say, dude, what was written on the wall of that cave? Well, back in, the days, back in the days when we were all in the same office and the rest of us in the office other than Brandon had been watching the final season of Game of Thrones and he was on, <laughs> like on season, season three, we could literally never have a conversation. Oh my God, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So sometimes I, just like, I get, I get very, unhappy I used to get so I, angry. I get very <laughs> unhappy. Like, sitting there on first... season three forever. I mean, what the hell? I'm very slow. I watch a lot of cable news instead. Not then you weren't. Or can we shift over to, to um, personalities, executives? I mean, AT&T, um, they hired Jason, obviously, from the outside to come in and do media. That was a decision by Stanky. He seems to have a little bit of a different approach than, um, than um, Randall prior to him. And then Disney is more about building from within. Just kind of you're curious on your thoughts about that as a process, external versus internal and and do you think Jason can kind of manage through an organization that, that Stanky's putting a very um, notable cultural footprint on very quickly? You know, I think if you start from day one, I think Stanky knew that he had great executives at Warner in general. I think from afar and, you know, based on some conversations with him, there were walls that were built up over time for units to compete with one another they don't think of giving movies to HBO as anything other than a revenue stream for the studio, not wanting to make HBO bigger necessarily. And the way that you would think of HBO Max now is the thing that everyone is focused on. Um, I think far too seldom are executives brought in from the outside in media. Um, I certainly was a beneficiary of that in that Viacom didn't know digital as well. They went and bought my company and brought me in. Um, it's not to say that someone that comes from traditional should be marked with a scarlet letter and that somehow they don't know what they're doing. But I think the changes culturally that had to happen at Warner and to become a product-focused company that was building an SVOD asset, which they would use all their ammunition on, needed a new thinker. And I think both the hire of Ann Sarnoff, who I worked with um, for a while at, at Viacom, and she was actually my boss for about a year, is one of the best problem solvers I've ever worked with in media. Um, and doesn't care about politic and all that kind of stuff. And then Jason, you know, I have a long history with him, which is when I was president of Sling and we were building a, an SVOD platform on top of that, he was the head of Hulu. And as I walked into a building, he was walking out. As I walked out, he was walking in. He was my competition. I had tremendous respect for him. And I said it again, unfortunately, I really believe at this time in transition, you're better off having a CEO who is a product geek and a fan in that specific of product geek as opposed to let's say 
Bob Chapek just pushing him up, which doesn't necessarily yeah fit again with the historical I'm two two different expertise. issues. You know, it's similar two different though. issues. You're bringing. In I a think the transitions ex- that AT and T were looking for in that kind of leadership, you literally get um, in and Kyler or someone like Ann um, and him working with the divisions that way. Jason loves uh, you know he loves narratives and loves stories, but he's also built he built the thing that helped launch this area which is Hulu, even with the head start on the Disney side. And I clown co remember clown co. Yes. Um, Hulu, a better name, but um, on Chapek, I don't know him personally. He's one of the few people I haven't met. What I would say is that for the last number that I looked, he was running 60% of the revenue of the company and you don't just throw that away. And if you look at Disney, um, the, the theme parks in other ways, which is 55 million touch points a year to help market your SVOD service. Um, a digital payments and doing those kinds of things inside the park, testing virtual reality. What does a video game become? There are lots of parallels to where Disney needs to go with the theme park world. I think that Disney has always been about stability and about very, very solid management. Um, They are daring in the stuff that shows up on the screen. Um, I'm not saying they're not daring, but they are deliberate. I just find it in interesting that they that <laughs> Elon Musk. Is not going I find to it interesting him. that TikTok thinks Kevin Mayer is the right guy for what now is the hottest platform, and we'll see how that builds. And Disney is basically going a different direction with who well, they decide. Well, you know, again, I I don't know what that seems I mean, like a I, disconnect I'm so, there. I'm not so schooled on what the division of labor is between China and the U.S. or how they've separated the companies. I'll say this: mm-hmm. if you know Kevin as a colleague or a friend. He's a force of nature, meaning like, you know, down by the, you know, in the van, down by the river type, you know, motivational guy. He gets stuff done. Um, Disney launched on Disney plus launched on time. It got most of the content that he wanted that he took money for before back deals that he did, you know, bringing them back, obviously with a lots of great staff and leaders there. And if, if your issues are regulatory, if your issues are separating, you know, China from the U.S., you would argue, and 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 you, you and, and different kinds of companies that you need to do deal with. Where is TikTok going to go in program video? Are they going to go at Snap? Are they going to go at Quibi? Are they going to go at Netflix? There's all these discussions. Um, I could see how that could happen. And if you're Kevin, and I'm, I don't want to speak for him, it would have been hard for me to leave. You know, I I love streaming. If there was a big streaming job out there, I'd can, probably the one job I would consider it because it's the great game that I have prepped 20 years for. And been on and off in that business, but why don't you go back to Viacom and try and fix Viacom CBS? I'd like to go to a different high school this time, but um, <laughs> but 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 uh, and I, I'm rooting for them. I love them. I, I guess my point is that um, they, for all the complaining that we did, they made their date, they made their numbers, they got their content back, they made the service better after it launched. They're getting their act together on content. Remember, there's also a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. With Roth, with the studio, uh, sorry, with um, Rice, with the studio bosses, which is what is the content continuum within Disney, and who gets a show? Where's a sh- where who, where the show should be put up, and should a show be on cable or these kinds of things? Th- those are real problems that they had to work through, and I I would bet on Kevin. He's had a tremendous um, you know sort of uh, trajectory. I just know for me as the game that I would be in, I would have I, 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 it would be hard not to watch the Disney service and where they're going to go and. Beyond that, by the way, I'm more concerned about Hulu, which is I think Hulu is the most untapped um, 
possibility for Disney. I don't know how they're focusing on it. They have this bundle that they can push through. The Hulu product is very substandard to where the programming is at this point, and they know it, but they've got to fix it because I think it's stopping people from using the service, and they got to learn to market and, and communicate their shows better. What do you hate about content. Hulu as a UI? Well, first of all, it's been designed almost as a flat structure for an iPad or almost like a, a PowerPoint deck. I need to get quick access to shows. If I'm the only profile, don't show me my profile every time. That's all that matters. Um, I want a lot more in terms of visual promotion of shows. So not five on a screen. I want 20 on a screen. The best programmer in television today, this is my opinion. It's between John Landgraf and Casey Bloys. John Landgraf at FX. I think they should back up the Brinks truck to him. And I don't even know what the future of FX thing, and they are a great brand. But my point is, if you look at FX on Hulu, that is a great catalog right there. I watched Devs, which was online, which was fantastic. I've watched some of the older stuff, like The Shield. Uh, Hulu, with him programmatically, is very exciting to me. They also have this great catalog. But there's also great shows that don't get the credit. And I think that Hulu is a frustrating product. And I need more suggestions. I just don't I think I just don't think it's one of those things where you fall like you don't just turn on Hulu the way you just turn on Netflix. It just doesn't have that or to Walt's point where you get lost in TikTok. Like it just for whatever reason, it doesn't have that like you turn it on every day. I mean, look, I'm watching Killing Eve on it right now and I love Killing Eve. It's a great show. But I'll tell you, they just don't get that. They haven't created enough. Con There's not enough content that keeps drawing you in, a, you know, in terms of really high profile stuff. They just haven't had enough. And I think not Here, being global also doesn't help them. Here's what I'll tell you. They've got it. They've got it in licensing. They've got it in originals. And now they've got it in the add-on of Fox, specifically on FX. If Dave was on Netflix, Rob, Bob Lefsetz writes about this all the time, which is if this show was on Netflix, if zero 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 on Amazon Prime on Netflix, it would be a huge show. If uh, Dave was on Netflix, it'd be a shoot. Yet, yet Netflix does get a little bit of a halo because the press does like them, and because the press is on it more, and they see things. I also think it's consumers are on it. Like you just, everyone's now going to the top ten no list question. and saying, "Oh, I didn't see that," or "Hey, this is I mean, out," or "I haven't seen this I mean, in years," and they start do watching on their it. Amazon site a lot to buy shit, so there's a perfect yeah. opportunity to get I'm, in their I'm, face. I'm just telling you this: the content. Hulu's got the, the programming and there needs to be sharing. There needs to be more hype. They've got, to, they've got to do more content marketing. It's there. And I, my point is, is that Hulu could be a hundred million person service. It could get into international with the Trojan horse of Disney plus in a way that another service couldn't. You just got to decide whether you're going to go for it. And it's fascinating to me that a company would ever think that they couldn't compete with a Netflix when you have the content engine that Disney has. So let me wrap up with kind of a good question that came in from the audience. Um, Zare asked the question, in an ideal world, what do you think will be the end result of the streaming wars? In five years, will we end up with one major service? I'm going to add lib onto it. Two, three, four. You know, there's lots of little ones like, you know, we've got Food Network Kitchen. We got AMC's got Shutter. Like what happens to the streaming wars in five years? I don't know if it will start with the small services now. If you think like the way that the taste made guys and others that are working, I don't know how you could survive as a video only um, small service unless you have ancillary pro you know, product, uh, commerce, other kinds of subscription involved. Now, there are other services that have got an early start like Stars, who are probably approaching, if I don't know the numbers are, 10 million paid SVOD only subs and ramping up their content. 
But the reality is this. At the end of the day, what Netflix did was they are the cable company, but the cable company that makes the programming and license some of the stuff. Um, I look at my house as being Amazon Prime and Fire, which I use even though I have all the services, because it lets me search for any video that's ever been made, and I can turn it on via SVOD or via download to own or rent. Then you've got um, Netflix, which is sort of the premier first service even if you don't think that the content's up to snub, they are making for everybody. You have to look at all your categories. They, don't, they didn't go do the Food Network. They didn't go do MTV. They didn't go do HBO. But little by little, they went for kids and they have kids. Little by little, they went for comedy and they have comedy. Little for little, they went for food. They went for music. They are now a system, a cable system. I don't know how, if you're a major contender, that you just can't think only big. And as Stanky coming into Warner had to look at all those brands and probably had to say, I need to really narrow those down. Those brands ultimately need to either be navigation, meaning Cartoon Network is animation, mm-hmm. or it just needs to be HBO Max or whatever you call it. Um, there will always be someone from the outside who has a very niche endemic voice. Um, it was, um, what was the turn in? let um, uh, the anime not, not one, not Otter. No, no, um, no, no, not Otter, but the company within it, the the anime uh, focused one, Crunchy? uh, Crunchyroll. Oh, Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll. There are services like that that will always pop up. They may do well to a certain segment. You're going to have a cap to how well you do, but I imagine there's going to be way more consolidation. And I think that's what these companies are going to think about. Which is Viacom understood that they didn't have what it took to get to SVOD immediately. But if you look at Showtime, CBS All Access, which frankly, doesn't get enough credit. They've got lots of signups. They've done well. They just haven't done as well because they don't have the programming budget. I don't know that they were ever bought into that, but quality shows-wise, they're there. But if you look at Viacom as a unit, you would argue that they could get there, but they're also worried about the, the fact that there's going to be S-Bot overload in the home. You have a generation here that be worried about jobs more than ever before. They're ultimately right. going to so, so have a So what's the answer, Jason? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? Who, who's it going to be? For me, it's five. For the five. average, for the average household, I'd say it's. Again, I hate to see the average household because, you know, people are worried about their jobs these days. But it's well, like we're talking Netflix, five Amazon, years out, so hopefully we'll have a recovery Plus. within five years. And let's say a normal it, economic it, environment. I, I, I would say I would say three to four in the average household if you if you're counting sports. But, the but it may change, is, right? I mean, Disney Plus might be merged into Hulu and ESPN Plus, and they have one Uber service, and you know exactly. Turner may not exist and it may just be part of HBO and they, I don't even think HBO Max will exist as a brand. It's just going to be called HBO. At brands to, what you're looking at brands today, look at those as programming departments within the overall programming unit of a major company. And the issue here is about replacement. There's always going to be a show on another network if it's Riviera on Sundance. And now I'm going to go subscribe to Sundance because I want Riviera. Now, in order to keep me, if I don't forget to cancel it, they've got to keep giving me programming or there's going to be a show like Marseille on Netflix that got me in the category that I wanted to watch with Riviera, but I don't need to go to another service. And I think that's what I'm, if I'm afraid for PBS, if I'm afraid for networks like Comedy Central and Nickelodeon, is that, you know, there's an old saying, I think that someone once told me about Bill Gates would say, you have to be 10x better than your competitor in order to stay relevant and not get eaten by scale. And the reality is all the programming that all the niche cable networks that are being done will be done by the platforms, Amazon and Netflix. And unless you're great and have velocity of new releases, it's going to be hard for you to survive five, 10 years down. Rich, let me, let me get one. I know that you want that to be the last, but I can't help this one. 
I like the toilet paper art, by the way. Very, Thank very you. Good COVID's on the rise again, so who knows what's going to happen. So 10 to $15 a month, I assume, for ARPA would 40 to 60 bucks a month in terms of your, your uh, content leaves 100 bucks plus for broadband, unless you have a different view on what those four to five services are charging on average per month. Um, I don't right now. And I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, the only justification that I could make for some of the pricing is to fill a hole from the past. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I can. I just think the mix in general, broadband pricing is certainly going to continue to rise. So yeah. if, if your spend is 150 ish, 160, then I'm willing to give well, you, do, you guys is, 50 or 60 bucks. Bundling? I'll take a hundred for the network. So who's doing the bundling with the, with the broadband connection know. right now? Good Meaning question. like at some point, that the but I mean the joke about the bundle is the well Comcast sort of is I mean but you can now get Netflix with your Comcast broadband I mean it sure. now is possible regional. regional it's all regional right though right yeah. so you know maybe AT and T is going to build more maybe five G will be your broadband pipe that you end up bundling with but I think that you know the big problem what I I was asked by a media company you know what if we don't expand the programming budget and we just lose customers multiple times a year and we remarket every single time we have a new show to get them back. I think that is the reality of a traditional media exec looking at their niche channels that they got paid for in cable right now and not being able to get the tonnage that it needs to keep them together. If you look at AMC networks, I would argue that all of those networks could be merged into one SVOD service and all brand wise work together. But it's sure, but this is the same problem funnels. that movie, but this is the same movie issue. Every time there's a movie, whether it's tenant or some small movie, you're going out and reacquiring customers every single time for that piece of content. That's the beauty of streaming is that you don't have to reacquire customers every time you yeah. have your customers and you can basically, you know, bubble up the content you want them to watch. And I think that's the not, magic of Spot. But if you're not a pure play, um, you now have to worry about what your deals were. You have to worry about what your advertising sure. deals were, what your carriage deals running up, what your owners are allowing you to do, even if you're the CEO. Where you are in your career, if you're a media executive making 20 million a year and you've been at the top for 20 years and you don't have a streaming strategy yet, you know, go play golf. But, but this all goes back to the beginning where we talked about focus and the need for simplicity and focus of your business. And that's sort of why I just keep coming back to, I think it's very hard to live in both worlds or to do multiple things. I really think you know, success is going to be driven by focus. Or at least I think there's like no it one. I, it's very easy to say these idiots or that idiot. It's all the people that we're talking about that these media companies are very smart people. They've gamed it out. I think fear and legacy play into this. Am I going to be here? Can I take the chance? Will the stockholders annihilate me within a quarter? And the reality is I think there's no other turn. And that's the, that's, if, you, if, you were, if you were an innovator, if you're a young kid wanting to work, do you want to go to a media company today at 25, uh, 25 years old and hear about all the reasons that you can't do stuff? Or do you want to go to a company that's going to tell you what, what should we do and, what, and, and don't even worry about what we can't do? Sounds like a we'll light shed way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason, the only guy that a, a, a traditional media company that let me do that was Charlie Ergen, though he would say innovation through litigation. <laughs> so a little different. Uh, Jason, you've uh, been incredibly generous amazing. with your time. We wish you the best. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the launch of Redef uh, later this year, or I assume later Please this sign year. up, redef.com. Redef.com, a couple of months, and we're back to five days a week. And we can't wait to have we, the one thing we are all missing right now is a rant rave from Jason. So. Thank and, you, and everyone, will, for joining I'll, us. I'll, I'll, I'm leaving today. I'll be at the Coldwater track uh, just talking randomly about SWAT if you want to visit me. Later. <laughs> Later. See you. Bye-bye.